Welcome to the Conversations with Anna podcast. My name is Dr. Anna Stump, the Golden Ticket Professor, a self-proclaimed edutainer. I'm a former business executive turned high school teacher turned college professor. And in the past three decades of that transition, I have spent time with several generations. And with that as my foundation, I have some stories to tell. In each episode, you'll hear stories or interviews that will help you focus on your own truth. I want you to feel accepted, motivated, supported, and then I want you to be able to take what you know about yourself and your truth, go out into this big old world we live in and apply that so you can move forward with a strategy for a more authentic life. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's jump in to a conversation with Anna. It's early in the day, so much I want to do. I dedicate today to breaking rules. I'm gonna stick to a strategy. I'm gonna find out exactly what I'm made of. Is there really something wrong with just smiling the whole day long? Hi, welcome back to another conversation with Anna. Today I have two guests. And this conversation is one, the moment that I was introduced to these two, I had like a niggling in the back of my mind how amazing it would be to get them on a podcast episode. But awkward as it is, I've never met David and Katie in person. And I was just assuming that that would be a little too much for me even to ask. But they ended up approaching me saying, are we cool enough to be on the podcast yet? Which I was like, uh, hello all day. So I met these two. Um, Katie is an alum of our program, the one that I work for the graduate program. And she came back to speak to our graduating students, um, maybe like April of 2020, we were trying to do some virtual guest speakers. And she said, Yeah, I'm gonna come but I want to bring my friend David, David, not an alum of our program, but fit right in perfectly and has been um, as active as most of our alumni since this call. But I was so impressed with these two. Uh, they both went to a small private college called Alma in Michigan. And Katie graduated in 2013. David graduated in 2011. We'll kind of hear that story. They've had very interesting journeys and things up to that point. But my reason for telling you this now is like, these are not like, incredibly older individuals that, you know, have families and have lived long lives. But when they speak, and when they've talked to our classes twice now, I'm just so incredibly impressed with their level of engagement, how they make the whole conversation really, truly focused on the students and anyone who asks a question. They have given so much of their time outside of these guest speaking um, hours to meet with our students, to have conversations, to keep in touch, to give feedback. And they're just incredibly genuine. And you know, I have like the um, ability to know if somebody's kind of living in their truth, or if they're, you know, attempting to or even not even on the awareness scale. And that's one thing I've really appreciated about David and Katie both is that they're so genuine, and so comfortable. And I have just had a special place in my heart for these two since then, and was incredibly thrilled that they would take the time to talk to me today on the podcast. So without much more um, of my ramblings, I would love for you to listen in on the conversation that I had with David Braidwood and Katie Malosh. So here's what I know that I have heard a lot about Katie because of CICS. And then everybody says Katie Malosh is going to come talk to the students because we were scrambling in March. And then she's like, well, she's bringing her friend David. And now to me, you guys are just Katie and David. And like I said before, you should have your own show and maybe even some sort of traveling keynote situation at colleges around the country. Sign us up. It's Yeah, it's funny because when Katie and I hop on the phone and have these conversations, it feels like it's a podcast (laughs) without it formally being that. (laughs) I'll be all about it if you decide to do it. So when did Katie, when did the Katie and David show originate? When did you meet? Did you know each other before college? No, no, it would have been. So I'm a year ahead of Katie in terms of when we went to school. So I think it would have been, yeah. Katie's freshman year, my sophomore year. 
we're talking like 2008 maybe, right? I would have, yeah, 2009 is when I started Alma and we were both on the tennis teams there. So that's how we knew each other. It's always the athletes too. I feel like when you're a college athlete, you have to just be on top of everything, time management and motivation, willpower, discipline, your academics, everything. I'll put in a, an additional note to that. I think especially at the D3 level, when like you don't even get shoes to play. No, right? it's a labor of love. Like you don't get anything, anything at all. Yeah. No, that yeah. is 100%. I didn't realize that was a D3 school. I taught at a D3 school and yeah. Well, and I, I think mean, too, you're involved in everything under the sun, <laughs> just in general. Um, but that always for me was really interesting because at Alma, there was so much opportunity to do a bunch of different things. And uh, yeah, it made you, made you very time aware <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to your point. And sometimes I feel like college students rush to get out of college because they're like over it. And then they get out and they're like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> This is what I was rushing towards. <laughs> why, why did I like, why? And I used to tell them that all the time, like pump the brakes, like enjoy this. Cause life is waiting and you kind of miss the fulfillment of all of that busyness and all of those, you know, things that maybe you were thought, okay, I'm ready for this to end. You don't have that as an adult. Yeah. Or the naps in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. You sometimes don't get those anymore too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Or the, you know, like setting, I remember, I know it's been like 127 years since I was in college, but I used to have to schedule my classes around Oprah because A, it was <laughs> 90s Oprah and 90s Oprah was a legit, it was before she got too rich to not relate to us. And secondly, like you didn't have a way to record it. You either showed up at four when Oprah was uh, preaching or you missed it. And you were like, no, I can't be going to class during that time. That, that sounds like the seeds to this whole podcast thing for you. <laughs> like, is that when it all started? <laughs> a little bit. I got to tell you. So um, here I am, only child, graduated, first gen college student, go to college. Um, Walmart comes to campus and I'm like, yeah, you got to go interview with the world's largest company. Like, there's no way I would ever work there, but let me go interview. Well, fast forward, I'm thinking to myself, well, for the rest of your life, people are going to look at your resume. Nobody's ever going to say, so tell us about this Walmart. What was that? (laughs) And for whatever reason in my stupid mind, and again, this is well before Al Gore invented the internet, I was like, I will just go to work in the stores. And then when I'm ready, I will go be in their marketing department. Like, that's brilliant. Uh, Unbeknownst to me and my little world that the marketing department had like four people in it and they outsourced everything regionally. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that's not going to work. But 10 years, six states, 13 addresses. I moved all over the country by myself. A lot of the times before we had the Internet to like find an apartment. We didn't have smartphones. I didn't have any of that. So I was very resourceful and very isolated because (laughs) you work like 70 or 80 hours a week. You can't fraternize with people at work. And on your half a day off every week when you're drowning in laundry, like the last thing you want to do is like, my mom would always call me. She's like, did you meet anyone this week? And I'm like, just some angry customers. (laughs) (laughs) No budding friendships or anything. And I... Oprah was like my lifeline and I was, she kind of like had these amazing guests like Elizabeth Gilder, but all these people that were on. And I'm like, I was all about the Barnes and Noble self-help section. I was like, let's read, let's get introspective. So in many (laughs) ways, I think you're right. In many ways, it was nineties Oprah that kind of tapped me into this, like, you need to figure out who you are and just accept that, like quit trying to change it and just move on. That's awesome. Deal with that stuff. So yeah, that's kind of where it all came from. <laughs> but yeah, so that was that was my uh, Cliff Notes experience. So talk to me about this friendship. We meet playing tennis, and was tennis kind of like the heartbeat of the friendship, or kind of what you bonded on? I don't. Over- I don't feel like we were friends in college. So tennis is tough, right? Because we (laughs) met through tennis. Okay. Okay. But, but after my freshman year, I quit playing. 
So it was like the brief chance that we met over the course of that period, but it was like, I didn't really keep in touch throughout college that I remember anyway. <laughs> no, I think you, we got, you got a hold of me when I was working at IBM, I thought. Mm-hmm. And I think you were like interested in a job change slash like you knew I was doing nutrition coaching or something (laughs) like there was like, we talked about all of those things. And then I think when it came to talking about job changes, I think I was going through a lot of like transition periods and doing the like career thing. And so are you. And then I think you said to me at some point, like I'm considering going back to school and I was like, go back to school and like do it and all these things. And then I think from there, we just kept talking about all of the career and life and those types of things. And then I don't think that I maybe saw you in San Francisco when I was there for work or something when you were already back at school. And then we started jumping on with Elma college stuff and having those types of conversations this spring. Mm-hmm. I don't even know, okay, so honestly. And, <laughs> and, and I'm going to, I'm going to just add a wrinkle there because I think Katie's being a little bit modest. So before, prior to me going back to school, quitting my job in 2018, Katie was like a coach to me. She was a coach to me. Okay. And so we talked about, so like the the conversations that we started to have originally, it was around, okay, you know, I have, I used to be a personal trainer. Katie has her background in nutrition. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to deal with this. Like, will you do this for me? And we might as well do this like life conversation thing. So, so she was truly a coach to me and, and kind of helped me as I was leading up to that, you know, transformational part of my career going back to school. So, um, from there, it's just been interesting because the conversations we had were so fun and it's it's just turned into a continuous thing that we have going on. So this blows my whole young David and Katie friendship <laughs> from, you know, the awkward mm-hmm. freshman and sophomore year out of the water. But it actually does make a ton of sense, right? Like you guys maybe as the wee little tennis players um, back there in <laughs> Michigan, weren't really ready for what you had to offer. Your gifts weren't fully formed. And then fast forward amazing right like you guys were just at the place where you connected and I think because I'm sure if I say to Katie because you did a great job talking about how she helped you how is having David back in your life or having David as a friend I'm sure she would say many of the same things in terms of feeling empowered and feeling that confidence level from somebody but I do think sometimes people come in and out of your life you're just not ready for them or you're not in the place Yeah. I think what was interesting too was, you know, in a sense I was like coaching David. Right. And that's a fair term to use because that was the relationship. But I think too, a lot of all of the like motivation and like the pump up person and whatever that I was for him, a lot of what I think I was sharing with him at those times was like mostly what I needed to also tell myself. (laughs) So it's nice because you have sort of that accountability of like, him turning around and like taking an interest in what am I doing? What am I trying to do and to build for myself? And what does that look like? I'm like, damn, I can't really hide any longer. (laughs) So that's always been really helpful for me because is it like, I've got some big opportunity maybe within work and I've got somebody that's removed aside from knowing me and my charge in life and what that is that can help me run it through the necessary filters to see if I have any blind spots that I might be missing as an example. So cool. So Katie, what was your undergrad? Was it nutrition? No, I double majored in international business and Spanish. And then you get a master's degree. Did you go right after undergrad? Yeah, I went to CICS right after graduating from Elma. And then after that, went to work at what was first? Accenture Federal. Okay. I was there for a year. I jumped ship to IBM. Um, knew that I was destined to be in more of the tech seller solutions consulting type of role. And then after three and a half years at IBM, I transitioned to Marketo, which had been acquired by Adobe. So now at Adobe, um, selling into the marketing suite of software, but recently heard I will be uh, the e-commerce goddess. So 
I, uh, I did that for a short period of time at IBM. So it's interesting how things come full circle. So I will now be taking on Magento or our e-commerce mm-hmm. platform. So, yeah. And then David, I, this last call we had with students is when you kind of talked a little bit about your journey. And I, again, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever about just your level of discovery and self, really your self-discovery on where you went and what you did after college. So I would love to hear that again. Yeah. Um, it's very non-traditional, I guess is. is how I would, I would put it. And so I love kind of just explaining it. And, and I think that often, and you'd probably have this conversation with students too. I think often how you tell your story how you move through those different transitional points is so key. And so I love having this conversation. So, you know, my, my undergrad degree is biology. I did pre-med and when I, it's funny because even before I graduated, things kind of changed from a trajectory standpoint. Um, When I quit tennis after freshman year, it was because I had some health concerns, a lot of migraines um, and that type of thing. And so I got to the point where I'm thinking, one, I don't know that I can do another eight years of this to go for the doctorate. And then two, I came into a couple internships, which were very business focused. Um, over my time at Alma, I was in a lot of different organizations, um, over too, too busy, overly busy um, for my time there. And it, but it, it gave me my first glimpse without me knowing into business and administration. And so I kind of had that chance to go into an automotive company. You're from Michigan. It's like, uh, it's a given that this is something that you can check out. Um, I started a role um, that was basically created for me based on my internship experience. I did that for a few years. It was, um, it was like business development, account management is what it evolved into. And then ultimately I'm like, okay, I I went to school for biology for pre-med. I've been doing this for a little bit. It's fun but this is one small component of business. And I wanted to see what else was out there. So that that's where, you know, I had some conversations internally, ended up having the chance to move over to HR and talent acquisition for a few years, which was great because I had the business experience from having worked at the organization and I was hiring for the, the company. So it allowed me to kind of have a different perspective, perspective around, you know, what does it mean to work there? Um, ultimately there was a thrill of sales that I missed. Um, I went to a smaller company so I could, you know, have a different scope or sphere of influence within that, that role. Um, and after about a year and a half or so, it was kind of the, the time to blow up everything, quit my job, move to San Francisco and ultimately to London to do my MBA. Um, and at that point I didn't know <laughs> what was going to be on the other side of it. I just knew what I didn't want to be on the other side of it. I wanted it to be different. So, um, Ultimately, it, it ended up working out really well because I had a chance to combine the sales experience with the TA experience. And now here at LinkedIn, I support my customers to, to hire and their overall holistic people strategies. Okay, but let's talk for a second. What <laughs> in the world causes you, do you think, like knowing what you know about yourself now? And this is what's great when you get to be a little bit older and you've got that hindsight because now you can look back and things fit and you're like, oh, okay. Or all right, that's, you know, like it's the greatest thing about getting old, I would tell you. Um, at least what I'm holding on to. <laughs> what is it in your personality or that made you confident to because there are a lot of college kids out there that will not step out of that major and try something new, which I'm sure Alma and that culture and just the side, there was a lot probably working for you there. But then not only that, but you get a job and then you're like, "Mm, I think I'd like to try that department. Right. I mean, you've taken a lot of just big steps and that's huge. And when I look at Generation Z and I see how they were raised how they're being raised and I see helicopter parents and I see the fact that they're not working when they're in high school and they're, there's not a lot of resilience because there's not a lot of falling down. And all of those things kind of culminate into not taking risks and not making change for themselves. And you seem to just have a ton of that in your background. I'm, I'm wondering like what you think that is. Yeah. Um, 
I guess I, I'm going to take it back. I think the first major change wasn't career related at all. I was quitting tennis. That was to me, one of the most like heart wrenching, terrible experiences. Cause I'm going to guess you went to Alma for tennis. I loved it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. tennis was, I started tennis my freshman year of high school and it became, it was three hours a day, longer on weekends. Sunday would be the day off, which ended up being, you know, serve practice. And it was like, became so ingrained in my life, but I had different injuries. And I honestly, it was a different person then. I was competitive to the point where I didn't like myself or where it was going. Right. <laughs> and so I think that that realization to, to just look at myself and say who I am in this scenario is not fitting of who I want to be. That is what kind of laid the groundwork for it. So it's tough because like out of th those different situations, I really truly believe that each one had its own like sense of desperation for something different, something needed to change. Um, and so obviously there's, there's the taking the leap, but it's also like feeling like I need to take the leap component of it also. All right, coach Katie, is that accurate? Yeah. That is funny. It's <laughs> the official hype girl and the coach. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you asked me that because before you started talking, I was like, don't downplay it because, <laughs> um, I think what I see as I was part of maybe like some of that transitioning was I remember like telling David, I'm going to send you a list of like cities and see what schools are there and maybe choose one. <laughs> like, that's how weird, like that's where one of our conversations has gotten to, but there was just this willingness to be completely open and see things all as a potential without discounting something because it was maybe a little off the wall or a little bit different that I think I really admire in him because not everybody is willing to go entertain it or do their homework to be able to say like, yeah, hell good gut feel. Let's go for it. Um, and I think that is leaning into vulnerability and in like it's most raw form because you can't really know what are all of the right steps. Like I read the daily stoic and there was one recently that was like, life can only un be understood backwards. Anna, to your point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. For and you sure. kind of just like one blind step after the other, but I think David is so willing to lean into what feels right right now. And what seems like that next aligned step. And even though it might seem crazy, even though you don't know for sure that it's going to be a win, there's going to be an experience tied to it. And I think you have the confidence in the wherewithal and, and all that you've done to be like, I'll, I'll make it work somehow for me in a way that makes sense. And I think that more people could stand to be open to that. Just, just being open to it, let alone jumping mm -hmm. into it, I think is the biggest first step. So that's what I would add to that is there's a little bit more hype to like sprinkle on his, <laughs> on his explanation. For sure. And the first <laughs> steps I think are the hardest, but they're also the ones that the next one, the next time you're presented with something, you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach. Like, I don't know if this is the right thing. You can stop and be like, Oh no, I've had this before. <laughs> Wait a minute. Like, yeah. okay, I'll be all right. Like, this will be fine. Right. I can get on this plane and go to London and go to school in a completely different country. It'll be fine. Like what's the worst thing? At happen? least they spoke English there. <laughs> that was like the one thing I had going for me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think those moments where I feel like sucker punched in the gut doubled over in vulnerability of like, what in the hell, Katie, <laughs> you just chose this for you. Like, do you know that <laughs> those are the times where every single time it's been the best thing that's happened? <laughs> oh, well, and you have to have it happen. I remember six years ago now we had a strengths finders coach on campus and we were trying to really do more of that in the classroom. And so my Dean said, you should just go get your strengths, like have her do your strengths finder stuff. So I take the assessment rolling. I'm rolling when it prints out because like communication is my number one strength. And I've always apologized for it. Cause I've always felt like it's my biggest weakness. It's always to me been the worst thing. So I was like, well, this should be interesting. I had almost some sort of out of body experience when she was doing my strengths finders because all of a sudden it was like these synapses were happening in my head because I was she starts talking about oh you're learner and strategic and and the whole time I was like this is why I made it 10 years at Walmart this is why that grind like really got me going. And this is why I love teach. This is why. And all of a sudden, 
to your point, it was all rear view mirror. And then I'm super pumped and I go in the classroom and I'm talking to these young people who like I have like, you know, a half inch. That's all they can see in their rearview mirror. <laughs> like, like there's nothing there. And I'm I'm talking about, let's think about your strengths. Let's do that. And they're all just like, like, yeah, no, that's not, I don't know why you're this excited about it. And I think, oh my gosh, we have to do life backwards. We really do. Like we don't get that self-awareness that we need to have the confidence to live life until we've lived life. Like what? That's such a stupid plan. <laughs> I think we felt that in, in some of the conversations we had with the Elma students um, and in contrasting that with the conversations we had with some of the CICS students, um, I think we recognized live that our approach needs to be different uh, in certain circumstances because there are things that can just not be heard based on where you're at in life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was one of those times. <laughs> but uh, it was just interesting to kind of like, have us live through that. Right. Cause we'll show up and do the dog and pony show and like whatever happens happens. But I think the CICS audience could hear that and understand that, um, a lot better <laughs> than students that are just like, it's summer of my junior year chick. Yeah. Like, I don't know what's going on in the world. Right. So, <laughs> well, I always laughed because I'm like, I always would take it not personally, but professionally when I was up there trying to share and, and prepare them, and, you know, they're kind of like, oh, I'm going to watch Netflix while she's talking because this is not really my thing right now. And I was always used to just think, man, I see myself in that. Like, I took my undergrad completely for granted. And I, but I wake up every morning thinking I'm going to make a difference or I'm going to do something. And I was like, yeah, maybe I'm not. <laughs> and it is so different with these grad students because especially the ones who are like having to grind a little harder because they're working professionals and they're, they're just so intentional and they're at a completely different place. But I, again, I go back to that first call where you guys came on and it was, I don't know, like probably May, April or May. So we'd had this cohort and they've been together and then pandemic hits, they get ripped apart and we have this idea to bring in speakers or whatever. And Katie and I were reminiscing about this before you got on David, but like you guys talked and it was fantastic. And I'm like mesmerized by both of you. Cause I was like, this is so good. And then one of the students says to Katie, Oh, we're running out of time, but I just have one more question. What is your advice to us? Um, as we start these new jobs. And I know that he was thinking she's going to give some trite response, like, you should take four people to coffee, you know, like, what? and she just like leans in without even a breath and says, I'm sure your new benefits package will include therapy, sign <laughs> up for it, go, whether you think you need it or not, you need it. And I literally like stopped breathing and thought, we're doing this. We are doing this. Like anytime anybody normalizes and like celebrates mental health like that, I'm like, let's go. Because that is your partner on this like journey of self-discovery. And people, again, don't quite fully get it. So that's when I knew. And then you both were like, mm-hmm. And you started talking. And I was like, oh, this is it. This is it. And I even quote the new group that came in this year. I quoted you again and sent them a couple articles and links because our university offers counsel. I was like, get on it, people. Let's go. Get yourself somebody. And everybody just came back and was like, that's so cool that you would share that. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. The generation, that's like the people that are ahead of you, they're out there living this. Like you're going to have to hurry and catch up as younger people. So when yeah. did you guys first, I mean, obviously you've had one another, um, you've had good friends, you've had coaches, but w- talk to me a little bit, whatever you're comfortable sharing about your therapy journey. Like when did that start for you and like, what has it meant? Yeah. So personally, mine started the summer of 2018 um, I'm not uncomfortable sharing this context because it's clearly me it shaped me. Um, you, you probably <laughs> won't surprise you. Sharing the um, banner for it. So when I, in 2018 was a pivotal year to say the least. Um, I found myself in a relationship that was very abusive. Um, I numbed all of that by involving myself in the things that I could control and fully dive into. So that meant 
25 work trips in four months while also competing for four bodybuilding competitions and raising a five month old puppy. Um, well, it's back that up. Like I got him at six weeks old. So all of that, right. That chaos helped me kind of numb from that. Um, got out of that. It wasn't easy. I still had some bodybuilding competitions to compete in, moved home to Michigan, had, was the maid of honor in my sister's wedding at the same time, finished my last show. Second, I finished my last show, had a client on site in San Francisco. I think that's David, probably when I met you um, in person, all of that was going on. And then all of it stopped. And I was home, back home with my family. And I wasn't traveling for work. There were no more shows. There were no more weddings. And I was like, um, not okay. <laughs> and, the, and the dog didn't have much to say. <laughs> yeah. The dog was like the emotional support animal since day one. And I looked up and I was like, what in the hell? Like, how did I get here? Because I'm a confident chicken tech, you know, I'm, I'm good at work. I'm confident. I like, I have this six pack. I know how hard it was to get that. Like I did all the discipline, like tasks. Right? You're also the one the other people call to, for the hype and the coaching and the <laughs> life, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. And at, and at that point I was like, I am an ice queen. Like I have put all of the emotions into a locked box. And I recognize at that time for me to be able to, um, thaw out a little bit. I needed help. Um, I didn't know what therapy really was. I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't like, I figured I was like cool and had it together, but there was just something in that day. And it was a blessing, but I had the nudge to like go online and see who was in town. And I, I think like God knew that like I needed to hit a grand slam on the first try (laughs) because I found the absolute best uh, therapist ever. And I can say that because I've only had one, (laughs) but, but really it's been the perfect match for me. And I think her style and approach is exactly what I needed at that time. I think going in, I thought that I would only need like a few times and I would be fixed. Uh, But I just had a session prior to this and I started in the summer of 2018 and I don't know that I'll ever not. Um, I'm sad she's going on maternity leave for a couple of months, but it's just been a really great opportunity for me to, um, unpack without finding somebody to be my emotional dumping ground, but also to have like a filter and a lens by which to overlay how I see things and how I process things. And like, that wasn't it of the trials and tribulations of 2018. Like I also got laid off walking into a client meeting. Like there were things that popped up, you know, Girl, that you were I, having a 2020 before 2020. <laughs> yeah. I'm like 2020 hit. I'm like, we got this. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> we got it through 2018. What do you got? But, um, it really was just a launching point for me. And since then I would say the, um, emotional literacy that I feel like I have now and the ability to share the things that I am able to share and to even coach upon, um, is possible because of all of the things that I went through. And while I wouldn't wish to experience them again, or I wouldn't wish to have gone through them, I can look back and recognize that everything that I've done, um, to your point, looking backwards has just been a huge blessing in disguise in my life, because it allows me to be as open and vulnerable and self-aware and truly like me in some way. Um, I'll finish with this last point and I'll get off my box, but I think my confidence always in school and especially in grad school came through ability because I always played sports, did all like all the sports, played piano, la la la. Like it was always through ability and achieving. And that's where all of my self-worth was tied up in every bit of it. But this offered me the option to not also, and and truly in in a professional sense, all of my self-worth was tied up in like the big name company, climbing the ladder as fast as possible. And that's where it all existed. And it becomes really disappointing when you're not constantly achieving and you burn out. But all of this to say this experience and especially my journey, you know, with therapy and continuing on that path has helped me to find it in other ways that really completes the picture for me. So I think that answers your question and then some, but then I'll just some. But <laughs> stop I have to there. <laughs> say, like, there's no way I, 
I look at some of my friends and I, at my own experience with therapy and everything else, like there has to be a moment where you're like, okay, I'm just going to go try this. Right. I mean, you have to almost, it seems like, that's why I felt like your advice and the way that you stated it to those students that day where you were like, you don't think you need it, but you do. And why would you yeah. leave that on the table? And I, I think I've followed it up with, oh yeah, you're not going to not get your 401k match. Right. <laughs> Why would you leave an investment in something like yourself when you look at, especially to these people living in a pandemic and like everything else? Like, but I feel like some of us went through the hard knock route and there are other people that have the ability to just start. And that investment in yourself is, is insane. I don't know that anyone can really truly say they have a good level of self-awareness unless they have been in some of those conversations that you have. Yeah. I'm happy that that moment happened at 27. Oh yeah. So. All right, David, how about you? Yeah, I guess my experience started a little bit earlier. Um, kind of informally, I was a RA at Alma. And so there were times when I look back and I dealt with, you know, if it was like sexual, but or like, violence within whatever. Um, I had a couple of cases where people were suicidal. And so obviously I go and I take them down to, to counseling, to therapy, to, to make sure that they have the resources they need. And then it eventually turned into me popping in and be like, yeah, this is what's going on. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't feel fine. I don't need anything, but you know, obviously, you know what I just went through. So let's talk about it. Right. <laughs> um, and at that point it was very informal, very like, you know, because we had that shared experience of me bringing someone down them take kind of like handing them off to them. Um, it was a good like starting point for me to start to have some of that. Um, I've had more than one person over the course of my relationship with therapy. Um, and so I would say that was my first experience in probably 2013, um, timeframe. I went and I said, you know, I'm going to go to therapist again. Things at work were a little bit rough. Um, I was dealing with some challenges there that just kind of had me in a place where, honestly, I think it was the first time I ever felt what depression felt like. <laughs> um, so I was like navigating that. Got in with this therapist. And honestly, what you see on TV where it's like this doctorate person in a therapy role well, it's like, how does it make you feel? That was what that felt like. Okay. And it was one of the most like disappointing experiences that I had because I'm thinking I'm going in being vulnerable, thinking to myself, okay, give this a shot, have a good conversation and just kind of process because talking is how I process. Um, ultimately I did not stick with that person. They ended up charging me ridiculous amount of money. It was like not a good experience. Um, so I took a break from that for a while and I started up again, probably 2017. Um, and now actually I'm, I'm seeing the same person that Katie does and our therapist is awesome. <laughs> um, it's funny, Katie, this is probably news to you, but like, because of the maternity leave, I did share with our therapist that I'm sure you and I are going to be syncing up to kind of keep each other in check, but, but make I wanna... sure you pass your notes from, from one For another sure. session back over to the therapist when she comes back. <laughs> but, but the one thing that Anna, you mentioned earlier that I want to circle back to, and this is something that I did over the course of my master's degree, the strengths finder. What I find about that is there's two different angles, how you describe it, where it's like finding what is really fulfilling to you and making sense of the past. But I think the other component that I felt really resonated with me is it makes sense of what drains my energy and what do I gain energy from, okay? And so I look back and I think about the roles and it's like, I spent so much time, my, mine are people, um, relationships and strategy. Mm -hmm. If it didn't fall within those buckets, like I was depleted by it. And if I, and if I fell into those buckets, I thrived in that situation. So it's kind of the two components to me because it's the making sense of the past, but then realizing the energy implications so I can set myself up to be successful moving forward. That's so true. I, the Enneagram did that for me a little bit too, yeah. on top of strengths finders and my students were, I was finishing my doctorate and they were like, stop, stop. If you say the Enneagram, I was like, I don't even know how to say that. I don't know what that is. 
And, the, and they said, well, you got to read the book. Like, you can't just take the assessment. You have to read the book. And I'm like, well, your girl is not reading the book right now. Like, I'm not doing it. So I took some little online thing and I, I read it. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's fine. And, you know, I go to work and they were like, well, did you take it? I was like, yeah, I'm an eight. And they were like, oh, you know, eights like and the- threes get along best. <laughs> I'm a three. <laughs> and then they start reading these things to me and I'm like, okay, that's great. Whatever. So things calm down. I'm listening to the road back to you in the car. Almost had to pull over because they said out loud in the speakers in my ear, when you get passionate about something, other people feel intimidated by the, and I was like, we have got to pull over because I am basically like a clown. I am really like a sideshow act. I am just a nut job, super fun life of the party. And every time I have conversations, they're like, you were so intimidating when I first met you. And I was always so confused by that. Like, what is wrong with you? I start realizing on top of the strength finders is like this challenger piece. And it is you you just keep going you keep going and learning more about yourself and you're like oh okay one of the biggest benefits of knowing i think the enneagram stuff during this time or any stressful time is that i've learned what is the overfunctioning stress response and what is the underfunctioning mm-hmm. stress response and it's very sobering you know my overfunctioning is like everything on my plate achieve all the things and i look <laughs> back at everything i did this summer i'm like it's time to underfunction for a while, but I'll get on therapy. I'm like, so, so yes, I'm a recovering perfectionist and yes, I'm overfunctioning. like help me set boundaries, <laughs> but it's helpful to know because when you feel yourself like slip to those spaces that you can course correct. <laughs> oh, well, and there. so here's my thing. Like I'm a communicator strategy. I have all these things, but then I'm also this challenger. So I constantly tell my students, my undergrads more so obviously than my graduate students, but I was like, I will meet you halfway. If you do, you know, like the first 10 steps, I will be there and you and I will take 11 through 20 together. Cause there'll be the, you know, you have to do the work to prove to me, which who am I to say that to somebody? I don't know. I felt like it was some, you know, like motivating to get them to work. <laughs> so I have the same students who really don't need me. Right. They would show up in my office. Can you look at my LinkedIn? Can you read this email before I send it? Can you that? And all their stuff was always solid. And I would be like, Oh, this is good. Or have you just reassurance basically was what it is. And they're still in touch with me and they're always the high achievers. And you know, which makes you feel hypocritical sometimes, but I just, I'm not the one that the low achieving unmotivated person needs. I know that they don't always know it, but I had a student say to me just a couple of weeks ago, she's like, I wish I could somehow repay you for like all this time. Cause she's like, I know you must just be drained from helping people. And I was like, no, (laughs) what you have to understand when you show up with your arms full and I can like take part of your load and we can parse it out and I can give you feedback and you can correct. And then you go forward and achieve that's life giving to me. Like you really do not understand the fact that you show up like with the stuff done, how awesome that is. And she's like, oh, I never really thought about it like that. And in the back of my mind, I was like, yeah, me neither. (laughs) I don't know where that came from, but that's so good. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, You constantly learn more about your responses to things. It is fascinating. Yeah. I love that because when you, like, like Katie shared, when you're sharing with a certain audience, a message, their levels of preparedness to accept or receive that message, right? Same as when your students were telling you about something different than strengths finders, you might want to check out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think, you know, we're all at different stages. And I think one of the big components for me over recent years, especially is just understanding that that is not the same for everyone. And you have to meet them where they are. Like I can tell you, you know, it's pretty often I have very open conversations with my manager just recently, like a couple months ago, my message to her was I'm going to use work as a coping mechanism. (laughs) I'm going to be overactive. (laughs) I'm going to get all this stuff done. And, and, and honestly, right now, over the past couple of weeks, all the deals that I had to close for the year are done. So I've let her know, Hey, I'm taking my foot off the gas. I'm going to set back a little bit, but I think it's, it's one being able to see that what you need and and then articulate that in some way for the boundaries, right? And so, 
you have to advocate for yourself in that process, but you have to know yourself and what those warning signs are before you can advocate for yourself. Yes. So you don't know this, but so I'm teaching a human communications class this semester and we have these discussion boards because it's pretty much how grad students who are working professionals interact. Mm -hmm. And I had a student the other day tell me those discussion boards around things like conflict and all of these different theories. And just, he said, these were like life preservers sometimes. Cause when I tell you my people got vulnerable and open, it was so good. And Paul, who's been on the podcast before, very deep thinker, my deep thinker, Paul shared a story and he didn't name who it was, but he shared a story that like, cause you know, Paul's like, wow, he had a wow moment with someone he was talking to who was so close to like, it had surpassed a goal that was set for them. And so close to closing another account that was going to just like blow all the goals, ever, you know, in the history of goals out of the water. And the person said, yeah, no, I like I could do that, but at the cost of my energy and my my peace of mind, like the the cost is not high or the cost is too high. The return is not worth it and I probably wouldn't show up well for the client, so I'm good here. And to somebody who's got a little bit of like what Katie described in terms of achievement or to these people who are still <laughs> looking at grades and looking at results and looking at quantitative type things, the amount of conversation that happened around somebody in the professional world being like, meh, I've really done enough. Like I've achieved. And then, so the next time I was talking to Paul, I was like, who do you care to tell me who that was? And he said, it was David. <laughs> it's like, yes, I love that. Because again, I think it goes back to once you understand yourself and you feel like you're enough, which I think is the real crux of like everything we've been talking about here, whether it's bad relationships or the confidence to move on to a different role or finding balance in your life or managing boundaries you know you are enough and you did not need to grind or hustle one more minute because you're like, yeah, that, that whole thing will happen like next quarter or whatever. Like you That's have no idea though. the lesson that was to them. That's really funny though, because I think the way I communicated it to Paul was I want it so bad. My ego <laughs> says do it, <laughs> but but I know that it's short-sighted and I'm going to lose out in the long run. Right. Whether it be did, one, the yes. energy, or two, you know, I'm going to bring in a deal that's smaller than it should be right. just for the sake of hitting this number that really means nothing. <laughs> and he did articulate it better than I'm yeah. doing. I mean, I could read you what he wrote, but he did say just like you had, the, this person had the wherewithal to understand it's better to just let this, you know, sales cycle roll the way it's supposed to rather than try to shove it through and get a short-sighted result. So, but I mean, that goes back to not being distracted by the distractions, right? Not getting caught up in the busyness to kind of like lose yourself. Cause I'd love how you articulated that earlier, Katie, cause that was pretty much my twenties. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of something. Um, so when I got, when I got laid off by IBM, I went out to Utah as one last trip that they could sponsor basically <laughs> to meet with a coworker. He was the chief marketing officer for Glock, um, young guy, um, crazy stories, crazy background, but we just had like a let's mentor Katie and make sure she's stable kind of day. Right. And he, I remember him telling me, he's like, what's your oxygen? Like, what's your list? And I actually talked to Christopher about this last week. And he said in my work bag, which we were traveling all the time, there's a list. And he said, if my job ever doesn't fit these, however many criteria are like oxygen to me, not nice to have necessary. If ever work doesn't hit that list, I am committed to walk out that day. I was like, holy shit, that sounds intense and scary. That like big. that's, that's a baller move that I don't know that I could make, but we kind of talked about it. He's like, what's your oxygen? And he's like, it can change. But right now where you sit, what do you have to have? Because the arrow follows the target kind of right. Or whatever mm -hmm. that Matthew McConaughey saying is. Um, 
he's like, what is it? And at the time for me, what was true was I got to be able to work remote. Like don't plan on putting me in an office from nine to five. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be my thing. <laughs> a luxury that I got very used to, to early on in my career. And then I said, I have to be able to travel. And I forget what the third one was. I know it was those two things. And then maybe it was like flexible work or something like that. Like those were the things that like oxygen for me, I had to have in any role I was going to consider moving forward. And it negated any of those different distractions and me out of scarcity reaching for a job because I'd just been laid off. And I think David mm-hmm. knows something about this too, because your job search took a long time, but it was the first time where I was like, there is a delineation between activity and action. And I can't just sit around thinking, you know, certain things that I'm doing are leading me to where I want to be. Like, I got to make sure that's intentional and remember that I have a freaking choice (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we lose sight of that. So it's so easy to lose sight of it. I had that happen about a year and a half ago. I started interviewing for everything under the sun that, (laughs) that anything and could feel doors slamming so fast. Like I had a first interview and I was done with them and they were done in the last 10 minutes. So it was the most uncomfortable, awful thing. Cause we all knew we were, d- I thought if anything, could somebody just pull a fire alarm somewhere? Like it was, and I'm walking to the car going, wow, that door shut so fast. It like messed up my hair on the <laughs> way by. And it finally, one day dawned on me, you cannot force this. Just take a deep breath, figure out what you need to be happy where you are, how will you fill your bucket? This is your reality. And until something better comes along, you just need to make this work. So I, that's when I started like this golden ticket, like website, I started doing all this stuff. Well, fast forward, I'm having coffee with Kirsten Smith and we get up to leave and she's like, Hey, could I send you a job description to look at? And I was so disconnected from the possibility of employment. I was like, to proofread, (laughs) you need me to help you write it? Like, because in my mind, I was like, well, these people don't want a marketing professor and kind of went through the interview process distanced to the point where I was like, I'll humor this and see what we got. So I showed up 110% Anna. Like I didn't do that crazy first date interview stuff. Like I was just raw myself. It was actually the best. And to this day, if I say something to my boss about, well, this, he goes, I know that's how you are. That's why I hired you. Just be you. And I'm like, okay, this is like maybe the coolest thing ever, you know, like, are you sure <laughs> you asked like, for that? I know. <laughs> and I thought, why did I, like, I, that is what I was doing before that is not advice I would give to anybody. Like, why was I doing that? But you do get like, I think it may be a lack of oxygen, right? Like you get lightheaded or something. Your yeah. your vision's blurry. I don't know what it is, but I'm like, why? I would never give the advice to a friend that I was doing to myself right there. Yeah, and yeah, we get like that. We need to be ask, accountable. I oftentimes ask myself that question: like, would I give this advice to if I had a daughter or if I had a friend? Um, what's Which the you do, one? by the way, have friends, but I'm would <laughs> sorry, yeah, thank you, thank you for that reassurance. Um, <laughs> the daughter, I'm pretty sure we can verify no, but the friends, you no, a lot, <laughs> no to that, and then and also sometimes too, and I kind of hate, but I do have to sometimes lean on this one. Given the in certain circumstances, I'm like, would a guy on my team respond in this way? And in technology, sometimes I just I have to put it through that filter because mm-hmm. it helps me be like, nope, okay, big girl pants, let's go. Um, right. But those are some of the filters that I have to ask because it's so hard sometimes to give ourselves permission to step into whatever we need to step into, <laughs> or put mm-hmm. that filter on. And those are the things I sometimes ask myself of like, would I say this? Um, what would X Y Z do? And it, it makes it a lot clearer. I'm like, shit, I gotta go do it. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say, like, I look back and when I think a lot of the conversations that I have now are like fundamentally built on having done recruiting, because I had to reach out to random people, they don't know me, they don't have a clue who I am, I'm asking if they're interested in an opportunity. And over the course of a few years, I probably interviewed a couple 1000 people. And it was it was a process where you know, we, we talk about quality of hire. We talk about, you know, having it be a good fit. I would literally kick off every interview with the candidate saying, look, if it's a good fit for us, 
it needs to also be a good fit for you. Because if it's not, then I'm going to be filling this role again in six months. And I don't want that. We don't want that, right? So coming in with that mindset and kind of giving the other side permission to interview me back and ask the questions that are important to them, I thought was huge. So when I finally went into like this realm, which I didn't anticipate happening to the extent it did of looking for a job, I recall there were a couple, a couple in first round interviews. One, I think one was the first round was the second round. And at the end of it, I had that 10 minute moment that you're talking about. And I just said, you know, I, I don't think this is a good fit. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that this is, this is like, does it seem like it's a good mutual fit? I don't, I don't see where it's, you know, aligning. Um, and, and I felt, it felt so good, but it was really tough because oh, it, it was a so process. Tough. Yeah. I mean, I graduated in August. I started my job in February. I accepted my role just before Christmas. Um, just before I think it was like the 23rd of December and my thought process was, okay, I want to have it, have something locked in before the end of the year. Well, you get towards the end of the year and all of a sudden it's like, do I really want to say no to this? Do I really want to stop entertaining the option when I don't know really what options are going to be there mm-hmm. in the next couple of weeks, right? Um, but that was the one thing I kept coming back to is because I've had that conversation so many times. I, my intent was to make people feel comfortable in that conversation but I almost said it so much. I had no choice, but to do it myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I guess I, the one thing I kind of, when, as you were talking about that, that I come, that comes to mind is expectations because oftentimes you go into the, like, I'm, I'm just in generality, <laughs> you know, these shorter stints of work experience with specific companies, and then you move on to the next one. And then we talk about things like how you go through that interview process where you're not authentically you you're setting the expectations of something that will not come to pass. And Mm -hmm. so to me, whether it's a work relationship, whether it's a personal relationship, romantic relationship, the expectations that are set or the mismatch, mismatch, misunderstanding of expectations, that's what stresses people out. That's what's frustrating. And that's what prompts those moves in a lot of cases. And so I think it's a combination of different factors that are kind of playing in. Also, to your point, when we think about, you know, I went through the same, like, I would say it's um, the discovery phase (laughs) when I was looking for a job because I was applying to a lot of different things. I didn't hone in yet on what exactly I wanted to focus on, but it's kind of demoralizing because now you're being told no to all these things that probably weren't a good fit to begin with, but no, at least is a directional thing where you can start to move in on what maybe makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. So there, it's, it's interesting because I think there are so many layers to this that oh, play into so one, the mental health, two, the longevity of people's careers with any organization. And, and it's just uh, unraveling that is tough, mm-hmm. um, you know, at large. Well, and just expectations that you get as you go through education are not realistic. I mean, Even, <laughs> I mean, okay. I, this is a therapy topic I'm going to bring up. <laughs> I like, I was realizing last week or the week before I, I'm this situation, I'm in this situation and I'm viewing it through the expectations that I internalized. It's like baggage I have from my past. I don't actually believe what I'm viewing this through the lens. And so even to take it a step back, I feel like we internalize these expectations that weren't really intended, but we took them on anyway. <laughs> right. Okay. So what's next for you guys? I know Katie I already, I spoiler alert. I already know what she's doing, but big life change. Maybe. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, um, I'm becoming the, the digital nomad and embodying that for a while <laughs> until I the want nomad some, some stability. Yeah. So artist. the plan is to move out to the Denver area at the end of January I will be uh, supporting Magento Commerce instead of marketing. So I'm going to be the new kid in in training mode. And hopefully I've got some e-commerce muscle memory hidden in there somewhere. Um, Working those deals and doing that. That's the plan short term right now. Could change next week. I don't know. (laughs) But there's all the unknown, right? And look how you're just kind of like, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where we live and what we'll be doing. And Hoping to land some perhaps other speaking engagements um, this coming year. Now that every conference is virtual, I'd love to do more of that. So that's kind what would of, you, what do you speak on? 
So I went to a women in tech conference in Scotland in the fall of 2019. um, And I spoke on being authentically you. And I talked to a a lot of ladies that do not prioritize themselves and balance in general. Um, Had some really good conversations, some health, some fitness, but mostly lifestyle and work and saying no, saying yes, giving yourself permission to be you. And um, it was a really fun workshop. So I've done that a couple other times. And I think I've got a version two based on everything I've learned in the last year that will be coming out soon. (laughs) Maybe you should do a podcast. That's all I'm saying. Awesome. Yeah, we should. We should just record every conversation we have. I'm not even kidding. I tell Paul that all the time. I don't know why you don't hit record on everything. Everybody leaves conversations with you guys feeling better than when they entered them. Just telling you. Each other included. Like sometimes, like I said, it's it's that call, you know, I'll ping Katie and be like, I need 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I no, what he actually says is he has do you have the headspace? This is the best <laughs> that's, first okay, question. That's, yeah. Yes. I have so much respect for people that will ask me that question. And it was a good lesson I learned to ask that as well. <laughs> no, that is a fantastic question. Because that's, again, going back to setting expectations. Like, this isn't a friendly call. This is going to be a dump. <laughs> this is going to be like an unloading on you. And then I asked the question, who do you need me to play, right? Do you want oh. me to be the hype person. Do you want me to try and solution and fix? Because some people mm-hmm. don't want that. And that's where I jump right to. So I kind of asked that question now is like, what role do I need to play? Because I want to fix and solution so bad that I will feel insufficient if I don't, but that might not be what you need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's so good. I'm worried about your therapist. She might come back from maternity leave and have two less. You two might just take <laughs> over for each other. I don't know. What about you, David? Um, I don't know. I feel like this past year has been um, transformational for me, like going through the MBA, joining LinkedIn, just for like transparency's sake, the way things played out is I joined in February. I, I was in this ramp up plan. And because of 2020, I didn't even start my job until July. And so like this, I've really had a half under my belt in this role. And so I'm excited to kind of push that, you know, I share with people, it's, it's not my dream role, but it could very well be a dream company for me. But based on, you know, the, my trajectory and the different opportunities I've taken and what we've talked about earlier in the call, um, I sometimes find myself having like career ADD. So I've shared this with Katie. I've also like, I, I listened to, and I was thinking about this prior to, I listened to your podcast with Paul shortly after you had it. And it kind of reaffirmed some things. I'm like, you know what? I really do think I want to go back and get my doctorate so I can teach on the side. <laughs> like I'm looking at all these different things. And so it's, it's likely the same as what Katie mentioned. You asked me today, it'll be different the next week, oh, the yeah. next month. Um, it's, I think it's a moving target and that's what makes it so interesting and so fun. Um, mm-hmm. But I kind of view the next thing as always, you know, how does this feed into my story mm-hmm. and where I'm going and how, how would I articulate that? Right. Um, and so I think even our conversation today is, is really helpful to me. I love having these conversations, these discussions, whether it be with, you know, one-off with, with students or different people going through professional situations um, or in this context. But yeah, there's some, some things on my mind right now. I'm kind of in the mode of it's 2020. I just did a lot. I need to give myself a little bit more time before I, you know, jump off the deep end into mm-hmm. something different but um but yeah I'm, I, I would say I'm genuinely really happy and grateful for where I am so I'm just oh, trying 100%. to enjoy that through the end of the year is the commitment oh, yeah. I have to myself <laughs> I wasn't trying to shove you out into the next thing but it, yeah. it's actually you could kind of get addicted to doing new roles every so often <laughs> because you're like this is so affirming that I I can pivot like this or I can do new things which I think is in many ways why what we have coming like talking about the disruption it's going to be exciting because you're going to have to adapt new skills and and help train new people in new roles. Like there's a lot to, and, and the grateful piece is huge. Like there is a lot to be grateful for. And I look at people and think, even I was looking at like employment numbers, um, just how many more people all of next year are going to struggle and think, you know, it's like, it's, it's a good place to be if you're feeling good and you're happy and, you can get in your car with your puppy and go out and f- find yeah. new land. 
it's all good. <laughs> that is the plan. Yeah, I'm excited for all of that. And I'm always excited to see how things unfold because I think what I always say is like, I can see all the pieces out there. I don't know how they all connect, mm-hmm. but they're all good. Like they're all balls that I want to keep in the air. Right. <laughs> it's just uh, how do they come together? It's kind of the the story that is interesting to see play out. Oh my gosh. Oh, Thank good. you guys so much. I appreciate you, you both more than you know. And if I can ever do anything, I don't know what it would be, but. You can just do this again. All the time. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm, until you all do your own, I'll, I'm whatever you need me to do. I'm here. January, we were... February, every week. We're going to need it. No, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Put me on the text thread. I've got headspace. <laughs> I'm old. I know things. That's what I tell my students all the time. I'm old and I know things. I'll share them with you. I don't mind. That's awesome. See, just what I promised, right? Two young people who have lived their truth, found their truth through whatever means necessary, taken chances, set expectations, um, are still very, very grounded in the right people in their life, the feedback loops, the constant you know, monitoring of boundaries and expectations, working on themselves, just pouring into others where they can, being very self-aware. They're just an absolute joy to talk to. So hopefully this was a really good conversation for you. I'm sure David and Katie would love your feedback or questions if you have it for them. I've put their LinkedIn addresses uh, in the um, show notes. And you can always email me at Anna at goldenticketprof.com or go to my website, goldenticketprof.com, or any of my many social media platforms as well. So thank you guys. Until next week, have a good one.